Well, I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the book of 2 Peter as we continue walking our way through this letter written by the Apostle Peter to a group of believers that were scattered about as a result of persecution throughout the Roman Empire. As we look this morning at a message, as we just sang, about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you have ever experienced someone or something that overpromised and underdelivered. But I think we all know exactly things like that in our lives. I remember that they used to tell us that it would be a joy when we had the opportunity to cut the cord with cable. You remember that? Because if you just cut the cord, you can stream everything that you want, and it's going to be what? Much cheaper until 37,000 streaming services came out, right? Overpromised, underdelivered. Pastor Scott, this is going to upset you, but the Chinese buffet. You know what I'm talking about, church. Get excited, you show up, and then you get about four minutes in, and you're thinking, this was not a good idea. Overpromised, underdelivered. I don't want you to get too fired up this morning, but politicians, can I get a witness? Overpromise, underdelivered. And I wasn't going to say this for love of being in this area, but Gator football. I love my Gators that are here, especially when our Bulldogs beat you. So Gator football, right? Overpromise, under-deliver. You know, as we think about that, it's funny to, to laugh and to enjoy just thinking about those things. But one thing is true. There is one person who never fits that category, and that is the Lord. He always fulfills his promises. He never writes a check that he doesn't have the resources to cash. And as we look at the text this morning, my hope and my prayer is that we as followers of Jesus would be encouraged with the reality, with the truth that Jesus Christ, who has promised that he will return, that we would take heart believing that he will fulfill that promise. I want to read the text for us this morning, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. And as we do each week, church, we'll walk back through it together verse by verse, trusting that the Lord will speak to us through his word, that his word will not return void. It will accomplish everything in our lives that he desires for it to accomplish. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, this is God's word. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, 
All things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that existed then was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. As we look at the text this morning, these 13 verses, I want you to write down this main idea that will frame our time together. It's this glorious truth. We as believers have every confidence that Jesus will return, and this changes everything about how we live. We as believers have every confidence that Jesus Christ will do exactly what he said. He will return. And this changes everything about the way that we live our lives. I wanted you to know as we begin to walk through these verses this morning, I want us to take four snapshots of different people within the text or declarations that are made within the text. The first is going to be the scoffers in verses 1 through verse 4. The second will be the Lord in verse 5 through verse 7. Then the promise, verse 8 through verse 10. And lastly, the opportunity, verse 11 through verse 13. As we look this morning, let's take note, first of all, the scoffers that Peter mentions in verses 1 through verse 4. Notice verse 1, this is the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. We are in the book of 2 Peter. I just want you to venture a wild guess which was the first letter. 
Y'all are slow this morning, church. First Peter, right? Now, here's the thing. Here's the encouragement for you this morning. We walked through the book of First Peter a few years back, and so if you're interested, so inclined, you can go back on the website or through our podcast feed, and you can find the messages that we worked through as we worked through the book of First Peter. But Second Peter, he writes in verse 1 of chapter 3, this is the second letter that I've written to you. And I want you to notice that Peter says, here's the reason in which he has written this letter as well as the first letter. In both of them, he says, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. I am trying to remind you, readers, hearers, of this letter and the previous letter of a very important truth. Well, what is that important truth? He's going to further explain that as we go down. But just to to give you an idea, he is reminding these believers that in light of who they are in Christ, in light of the reality that Jesus Christ is going to return, their lives, therefore, should be marked by obedience and devotion, and love to the Lord Jesus Christ. Their lives should be marked by godliness, by holiness, by a pursuit of Jesus. And the truth for us this morning as we gather, the same thing if you're a follower of Jesus is true for you and it is for me, that this letter, along with Peter's first letter, should stir us up. It should encourage us and challenge us and remind us of the reality of what Jesus Christ has done in saving us from our sin. And in light of what Jesus Christ has done, and in light of the promised return that he has declared he will come back, then the lives that we live today should be marked a life of devotion and obedience and righteousness before God and before the world in which we live. And Peter says here, I am trying to stir you up. I'm trying to remind you of this truth over and over and over again. In fact, if you look back at chapter 1, he reminded them of this same thing in verse 13. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to what? Stir you up by way of reminder. I don't want you to forget what Jesus Christ, one, has done for you, two, has promised he will do in the future. So many times as followers of Jesus, in everything that goes on around us, we lose sight of why we are here and for what purpose Jesus has saved us. And here, Peter is trying to stir these believers up, and he's trying to stir us up to be reminded of what Christ has done and what Christ is going to do. And so this morning, if you leave in any other way than being stirred up, you will have missed what Peter is trying to do. I want you to notice in verse 2, 
He clarifies this reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. He says, I want you to be reminded what the holy prophets promised. I want you to be reminded of what Jesus Christ through his apostles promised as well. We're going to see that as he continues to unpack this, it is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ when Christ comes back when he sets up his rule and reign for all eternity, when he exercises judgment in perfect righteousness, Peter is saying, I don't want you to forget. I want you to be reminded of that reality that is coming. Notice in verse 3, in light of all of that, He says, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. If you were here last week, if you weren't, you can always go back and listen. But if you were here last week, we walked through chapter 2. And as I told you at the beginning, as we began our journey through the book of 2 Peter, that Peter's purpose is very, very clear as he's writing this letter, to stir them up. And as he does that, remember in the first part of chapter 1, Peter is outlined for the believers, here's what Jesus Christ has done for you. Here is your identity in Christ. If you have taken the step of turning from your sin, trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is your reality. And remember in the bottom part there of chapter 1, he says, in light of that reality, then you are to live lives of godliness, lives of holiness, lives that are marked by being children of God. And then remember the second week that he said, we have confidence as followers of Jesus in the Old Testament scriptures. We have confidence in the apostles who at this point in time, as you see, this letter that we're reading is from the Lord, inspired by the Holy Spirit through Peter to write down this truth that has been preserved for us. We as followers of Jesus have a firm foundation in the Word of God. And then last week, Peter says, there will be false teachers that come among you. And you must be prepared and be firmly fixed on the truth of God's word so that when they come, one, you're able to identify this is not true, but two, you are able to withstand whatever the cost may be. Peter emphasizes that there in verse 3. There will be scoffers, he says, in the last days. Peter spoke about the false teachers in chapter 2. He's going to dial in right here on what these false teachers were saying, what these scoffers were claiming. And he says, to begin with, as he identifies them once again, they are following there, the second part of verse 3, their own sinful desires. 
In fact, as you look at this description of the scoffers in verses 1 through 4, if you've ever paid attention, watched any uh, reports of crimes that take place, and sometimes if they're not able to, to get a description of the person other than just kind of vague descriptions, they'll bring in a sketch artist so that the witnesses can work with the sketch artist and they can describe for them, this, this is what the person looked like that perpetrated this crime. And in here, Peter is laying out for us a sketch of these scoffers. He's describing them even more so here for us. And he says, first of all, that they are following their own sinful desires. Notice that that is in contrast earlier with what he said about the prophets and Jesus Christ himself and the apostles of which he was one. Notice the descriptor that he uses before prophets. He calls them what? Holy. Notice that distinction between the holy prophets between the holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ, between the holiness of the apostles in contrast with He describes here the sinfulness of the scoffers, those who are following their own sinful desires. Remember that the argument that they are making is that Jesus Christ is not going to return, and therefore we can pursue lives of sin because we're not going to have to answer to anyone. We can live however we want to live. We don't have to answer to anyone. That's the argument that the scoffers are making. And the problem that Peter says is they are following their own sinful desires. What rules their lives? Their pursuit of sin. I want you to notice that that's in contrast should be with followers of Jesus. In fact, Paul would say, we have been set free from the bondage to pursue sin in our lives. We don't have to, once we've trusted Christ as our Savior, once the Holy Spirit dwells within us, we don't have to pursue sin. In fact, we've been set free from that to pursue with the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, righteousness and holiness. As we see here, Peter is being very clear that these scoffers who are questioning Jesus' return, first and foremost, are following their own sinful desires. Not only that, they're questioning Jesus' return. Notice verse 4. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, notice their argument, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They're saying, here you are, claiming that Jesus Christ is going to return, but he hadn't. Everything's still rocking along the same way that it has been for years and years. Now we laugh about this a little bit because they're not too far past Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. It's just a few years down the road from that and they're making this argument, how much more so now? The scoffers making the same argument. 
Jesus said he was coming back, but he hadn't yet. And in light of that, I mean, if he hasn't come back yet, is he going to come back at all? I want you to notice that Peter will begin answering these scoffers. In verses 5 through 7, not arguing with them, but redirecting not only their attention, but also those who would be hearing this letter, who would have been exposed to these scoffers, these false teachers who were declaring that Jesus Christ would not return. I want you to notice that Peter here focuses his eyes and the eyes of his readers, our eyes, on the Lord. First and foremost, the Lord's power and his purpose. Notice verse 5. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. I want you to notice what Peter's doing. What Peter is doing is calling the scoffer's attention and our attention back to creation. Back to the work of God in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 when God with his very word spoke and all of creation leapt into existence. And he says, you want to doubt the power of of the word of God, you may want to go back to the beginning and realize just how powerful it is. Go back to creation when nothing existed and God spoke and all of creation leapt into existence. And we have the reminder by John and John chapter 1 that In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ was there at the moment of creation. And we know that if Jesus Christ spoke, and creation leapt into existence as part of the Trinity, we know that if He speaks and says He is going to return, you can take it to the bank. At this point, Peter is calling our attention to the power and the purpose of the Lord. He doesn't stop there, though. In fact, he further emphasizes in verses 6 through verse 7, notice not only just the Word of God, the power that existed in him speaking creation into existence, but notice in verse 6, and that by means of Of these, the world that existed was deluged with water and perished. Not only does he highlight the Lord's power and the Lord's purpose in creation, but he also highlights God's justice and his judgment. And how does he do that? By looking at Genesis chapter 6 and Genesis chapter 7. So this is after creation. 
This is after sin entered the world in Genesis chapter 3. This is when the Lord looks and he sees the intent of mankind's heart, and it is totally evil. The Lord in his justice and his righteousness says, we're done. And he floods the earth, destroying everything, with the exception of Noah and his family, who are preserved in the ark. In fact, as you look, we're reminded that at this point in time, Peter is saying, not only do you need to recognize who the Lord is in his power and in his purpose and creation, but you need to recognize as well the justice and the judgment of God on display. And then he says in verse 7, but by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Remember that God's promise to Noah is that never again would he destroy the earth with what? Water. But throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament and throughout the New Testament scriptures, the promise that the Lord has made is that there will be ultimate and final judgment and justice and it will be through fire. And here, Peter looks and his gaze is on the Lord. And he reminds his readers and the scoffers who were questioning whether or not Jesus Christ would return. He's reminding them of the reality of the power and the judgment of the Lord. Notice that Peter doesn't stop. In fact, you'll notice thirdly in verses 8 through verse 10, the promise that's made. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved. Listen to this. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. God's timing is always perfect. God's timing is always perfect. This is the reminder for us that Peter is unpacking right here. In fact, you ever know someone who's always late? If you elbowed your spouse, you'll have to answer for that later, okay? Someone who's always late so that you actually look at them and if you need to be somewhere at a certain time, you don't tell them, but you move the time up just a bit. They're 15, 20, 30 minutes late. Supposed to be there at six o'clock. You say, hey, uh, reservations are 5.30. And they show up about 5.50. And they're like, we're sorry, we're late. And you're like, you are right on time. The thing Peter's saying here is that may be tempted to look at the Lord and him fulfilling this promise of his return and say, well, he's, he's late. 
He's not shown up yet. He's not returned yet. But Peter says, the Lord is never, never late. Why? Because time as we know it is not a factor in God's plan and God's purpose. God is not bound by time as we are bound by time. In fact, he sits above time. He sees the beginning and the end at the same time. We don't have that privilege. We don't have that opportunity, but that's the way God is. And so when we think about, well, he's not come back yet, I want you to know that Peter is trying to unpack for us the greatness of our God and saying, with the Lord, one day might as well be a thousand years. And a thousand years in his eyes might as well be one day. One day in our eyes is 24 hours. A thousand years in our eyes is a really long time. But for God and his economy, they're the same. They're not that big of a deal. And his timing is always perfect. Why is his timing always perfect? I want you to notice, and beginning in verse 9 and walking down through verse 10, Peter is going to emphasize for us God's grace and God's justice. Verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. So you think God is slow in fulfilling his promise? Peter says, not the case. God is not slow in fulfilling his promise, notice, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. In fact, any delay in the Lord's return is a picture of his grace extended to men and women, boys and girls. His grace extended to them so that they would turn from their sins and trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. That is the gracious God that we serve. And you may have come in this morning, and for you, this is what you need to key in on. You've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, and this moment in your life, I want you to know, is a moment of God's patience given to you. God's grace extended to you in this moment so that you would hear the truth of who Jesus Christ is, the very Son of God, that you would hear the truth of what Jesus Christ did, that is, stepped foot out of heaven and came to this earth, living a sinless and perfect life, taking your sin and my sin upon himself on the cross, where he laid his life down, paying the penalty for your sin and mine. He was buried, but he didn't stay in the grave. He rose from the dead on the third day, securing salvation for you if you will trust in him alone. That is the response. If you've never done that, that this 
text should stir up within you today. I want you to notice in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. No one knows the day or the hour. There have been predictions from the time Jesus left, and guess what? They've all been wrong. And hear me this morning. If you ever hear someone predict a time and a moment for Jesus to return, go listen to somebody else. None of us know. None of us have any idea. Because notice that Peter says here, he will come like a thief. A thief shows up when nobody's expecting it. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. There is a moment of justice. There is a moment of reckoning that will come. God is a God of grace and mercy. Yes. He is also a God of justice and righteousness and judgment. And at the day of the Lord, we will see God exercise that justice. When all will be exposed in that moment there, as the last part of verse 10 says. Peter, in light of that, I want you to notice, lastly, the opportunity that he lays out before us. Verses 11 through verse 13 since all these things are thus to be dissolved. Notice Peter's not questioning whether Jesus will return and do what he promised he would do. He says, since that's going to happen, how does that impact our lives as believers? Notice, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? We, as followers of Jesus, have the opportunity to live with purpose, to live our lives in light of the reality of Jesus Christ's return, that we are to live lives of righteousness and holiness, he says here. And not only that, but notice in verse 12 that we are to wait with expectation. Notice, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Notice verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We are waiting with eager expectation for the Lord Jesus Christ's return. Why? Because we, from that moment forward, will experience the beauty of living in light of what God always intended for mankind to experience, and that is life with him for eternity. Where there will be no more sin, there will be no more pain, there will be no more hurt. We will experience the beauty of living in his presence for all eternity. In fact, one of my favorite writers is C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe 
makes this declaration about Aslan, the lion, which is corresponding, if you pay much attention, to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice what he writes. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. As followers of Jesus, we long, we wait with eager expectation for Jesus Christ's return. We say, even so come, Lord Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me this morning as we prepare to take communion together? Maybe you've come in today and you've never taken the step of trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. As I mentioned earlier, this is a moment of grace extended to you by the Lord. Would you take the step today of trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? If you've got questions about that, we'd love to talk with you further. Love to help you understand more of what that looks like. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, would you let this passage, this message, once again stir your heart that your life would be marked by purpose, that your life would be marked by an eager waiting and anticipation of Jesus Christ's return, that we would long for the day. And as we wait, that we would be intentional to be about what he's called us to do. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we ask that you work in our hearts and our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to stand with me if you would. I'm going to give us just a few moments, opportunity to prepare our hearts as we get ready to take communion together. Our pastors are down front. You can respond as the Lord leads, but I want to encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus, use this as an opportunity to prepare your heart as you think about what Jesus Christ has done for you.